Greetings, Retreat Church. It's good to be with you guys again after two weeks of being out of town. And uh, thank you, Pastor Tim Schaefer, for filling in for me and um, taking care of feeding the sheep over the last two weeks, um, putting the Word of God out there for people's enrichment and their growth in Christ. And thank you, man. Appreciate your friendship. Always know that you're doing a wonderful job. My church loves to have you. And uh, we'll have you again soon, I hope. So thank you, buddy. Thanks a lot for that. Yeah, grab your Bibles and turn to um, Acts chapter 9, and we're going to be starting in Acts chapter 9, verse 23 this week. And as we do, um, I want to tell you just kind of a little story that kind of exemplifies kind of maybe the way you're feeling these days about, you know, all that's going on in our, our world today. Um, I'm in there standing, getting some coffee, this coffee house in town, give a little shout out, you know, White Rabbit Coffee, pretty good little spot in, uh, in uptown Ukaipa. And uh, pretty good, pretty good stuff. And um, I was standing there waiting to get my coffee, and I, this young lady and her friend, two couple come in, and I think they're just good friends. Who knows? Don't want to judge, you know. Um, and so they come in, and they, they put, he puts his order in. He orders an iced coffee. She orders an iced hot chocolate. And that kind of confused me a little bit, but, you know, that, okay, that, that's, hey, whatever. And then the lady behind the cash register, the barista, she says, um, you know, that's just like, just like chocolate milk. And she goes, yeah, I know. And there's this, this moment, this awkward like moment. You just ordered iced hot chocolate. And then her male friend started laughing. He was laughing hysterically and everybody's kind of looking. It was kind of a funny moment for everybody. And then uh, she goes, oh, never mind, never mind. And, and then uh, I get my coffee, I go back out, and then they come out behind me, and uh, they look at their table of about four or five other um, people, and the, he goes, Rose, she didn't even order it. She didn't even get the order. She just said, no, thank you. She didn't order anything. And uh, the whole table started laughing, and um, I thought, I thought that they were playing some sort of practical joke, making me it was like a dare kind of thing. Hey, like I dare you to go up there and ask for iced hot chocolate um, and that she did it. Um, but it turns out that she really wanted that. She, she really <laughs> wanted iced hot chocolate. So, you know, me, I, I, right next to them and maybe social distancing wasn't being practiced, but m- maybe we were supposed to follow the rules and maybe we didn't. Um, but it, we're sitting there, and I had to ask, I said, was that some sort of joke? Or like, what, is ice taught chocolate like a thing? And her male friend said, no, she's just being silly. And then um, she said, no, I really, really, really like their hot chocolate. Their hot chocolate here is like the best, and I, but it's too hot outside. And so she's like, what do I do? I want hot chocolate, but it's hot outside. And uh, hey, hey, me, I love hot coffee even when it's hot outside. My record, my personal record, 113 degrees outside in Arizona, and I ordered hot coffee. So that's, that's my record, and uh, try to beat that, and um, go for it, you competitive type of people. Um, someday, maybe, I'll beat that record. If I'm ever in a position where it's 114 degrees, I'm buying up a cup of hot coffee. So, but this young lady, back to that story, um, as young lady, I'm talking to them, I'm saying it was just like, kind of, thing, why, why didn't you just get, why didn't you just get it then? Why, well, because they were just making fun of me, and I was like, just get what you want, drink what you, what you want. And then um, one of her friends at the table says, you know, iced hot chocolate is a thing. And her friends looked at her like, it's a thing. Yeah, it's an actual thing. I, I got it at another coffee house. And so I, I just, I asked, I said, well, is, is, is there anything different than, you know, 
iced hot chocolate than just chocolate milk. Is there anything like going on? Because I know that you brew tea and then you put it over ice to make iced tea, right? So, you know, you have to brew the tea, then make the iced tea. And so I'm just kind of curious, I, was, is there some kind of magic? Because we've been missing out on something this whole time. Those of us that drink chocolate milk, have we somehow missed the boat? Have we somehow missed what is going on? And, and we've all this time, we were supposed to be heating up our chocolate milk and then putting ice in it or putting it in the fridge or somehow cooling it down. I don't know. You, you might be confused just like I am, and you might be saying, Pastor, you went crazy. You went on vacation for two weeks, and you come back, and you're talking about iced hot chocolate. And I, yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's missed. It's, it's confusing. I want to try it now. I want to go home and make hot chocolate, and then I want to put ice in it. I'm going to try it. You try it. Let me know how that goes. <laughs> but if you're as confused as I am by the beginning of this message, and you're asking yourself, what does that have to do with Acts chapter 9? In Acts chapter 9, there's some confusing stuff going on. People are in this state of awe, this state of confusion, this state of miracle, but yet as God is changing this man Saul into Paul, he's now, he used to be going out and killing Christians, but now those Jewish people that he was once working with and for are now trying to kill him because he's actually preaching the gospel and making Christians and making disciples and promoting Jesus as the resurrected Son of God. And now he's doing all of these things. So some people are like, Wait, is this like legit? Is this real? Is, 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 is Saul really like one of us now? And he was trying to save, kill us, and now he's trying to reach us for Jesus. And now those that he was working for are trying to kill him. And what is going on? <laughs> well, here they were very confused. But yet Paul had some friends. Paul had some good friends. We also see Peter doing this crazy, crazy ministry in some crazy hard times. And so both Paul and Peter are being placed in these situations that are very confusing and they're, they're very hard to, to deal with. And, and Many people are, are hurting and many people are doubting and many people are wanting to run away and many people are wanting to hide and many people are wanting to give up and, and all of this is taking place in Acts chapter 9 when this kind of conversion and this change is taking place in this man Saul but God is also doing something else he's also positioning his people like he's he's opening new doors for where his gospel is going to now be spread and in the Gospel of Acts, we have it concentrated with these two people, Paul and Peter, which are kind of the two main characters throughout the book of Acts. But in this place, it's kind of concentrated. And we, we get this idea that through Paul and through Peter, God is positioning his church. And there's this mass transition taking place in the church from primarily a Jewish kind of thing to being a Gentile thing. And people are wondering, is this really what God is doing? But God is doing this massive, massive shift as he's reaching the world and changing the world and reaching new people and transforming lives. And, but there's a state of confusion and there's a state of where is God? But you know what? We discover in this passage and many, many others that 
the struggle that we deal with and the confusion that sometimes that, that, that we're, we're placed in is not a sign that God is absent. It's not a sign that God does not exist. But what it is a sign of, it is a sign that God positions His people in very confusing places. That God takes His people and He raises people up out of tragedy and out of heartbreak and out of a lot of things that we normally wouldn't say, hey God, I think I sign up for, and then we want to move in to those kinds of areas. None of us really try to do that. We try actually to try to do our best to try to avoid that, and sometimes we have this misconception that Christianity is about avoiding those problems, that Christianity is about avoiding tragedy, that Christianity is about avoiding hardship. When the Bible teaches that that's not the case. The Bible teaches that God steps into chaos, that God steps into heartache and confusion, that God steps into brokenness. And as God steps into that in the person of Jesus, Jesus initiates this new way of living, this new way of stepping into brokenness, and this new way of stepping into confusion and heartache and pain and bringing new life and bringing encouragement and bringing transformation and bringing newness. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And, and we know that in this text, he was using Paul and he's using Peter, but we focus and we, as we apply that to today, we can come away with this idea that God preserves and proves those that he uses. Let's say that again. God preserves and God proves those that he uses. And we're dealing, I know we're dealing with so many big things. We're dealing with massive world-shaping, history-making things. And I, I, I would admit to you today that though COVID-19 is on the forefront of much of this, I think it's, I'm just going to say this, I think it's the least of our problems that we're dealing with right now. I, I think that, that us getting this lung disease is the, is the least of our problem. And I know that you might be saying, that's, that's insensitive, Pastor. That's, that, that's not realistic. If you're an elderly person or you have a, a condition already, then I know that that statement may sound a bit um, calloused. Um, but I want you to know that if you're elderly or you have a pre-existing condition that makes it very dangerous for you to get this virus, I want to, know that, I want to say that, to you that I know that this is very real for you, and, and this is very difficult for you, and very, very scary for you, and, and you're tempted to kind of live in this fear, and I want to challenge you that, that Jesus has good things for you. Um, the, if you're outside of that danger group of the elderly and the ones that have an illness that would make it dangerous for you to get that, the majority of us... Uh, you can get that COVID-19 and, and, and move through it quite successfully. Um, yeah, challenging and hard to be sick. It'd be, be like getting a lot of the things that, that, that we get. And it wouldn't be a good time. It's nothing that we want. But you've got a really good chance that you're going to be just fine if you get that. But yet we have these other problems going on in our world, the, the, the racial divide. And you know what's scary about the racial divide to me? What's scary about the racial divide is that I, I'm not convinced that the people that really need help and that need healing actually are, are getting that. Because I think that the people that really need help and the people that are really hurting because of the racial injustice and, and the, the racial divide in our country, I think the people that are really he hurting aren't really getting what they need because it's been politicized, you know? It's been politicized and that is, I think, pretty evil. 
that a person seeking power will take someone that is in a very bad position that is suffering and when they would use that person in the position of their suffering to gain power for what they want. You see how evil that is? So if there's politicians in this world that are saying, I can use COVID-19 to get power, that's evil. That if there's a politician that is saying, I can use and promote racial division so that I can get power, that's evil. That's evil. And perhaps the biggest problem that we're facing today involves children. The biggest problem I think we're facing today of, of, of the many that, that are at the forefront is, is sex trafficking and the normalization of pedophilia. That to me is, 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 is evil in, in its worst form because it affects children. COVID-19 and illnesses among adults, we're adults. Handle it. Be an adult. Racial division and political dot, um, polarization we're adults. You need to handle that. Sit down with people that disagree with you. Find a way to move forward together. Be an adult. But when it's children, that's a whole other set of evil in, in this pastor's opinion. And we're seeing in this massive move of God in the book of Acts, where God is taking his people and he's preserving them and he's proving them to be his. I think that God wants to do that in some very powerful ways. And he wants to do that through his people. He wants to do that through the people that he's called together and grouped together and called to gather together. And it's called the church. And I believe that the church needs to let some things go. Stop fighting and arguing about some things. And start really looking at what we're telling our children about sex and morality. I think that really needs to be honed in on today. And it's scary, isn't it? Scary to think what's being promoted and the normalization of that. And in our text, if we turn our attention there, I believe that we'll find some hope for these types of situations. We see in verse 23 of Acts chapter 9, when many days, when many days had passed after his conversion, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him but their plot became known to Saul, and he, and there were watches watching. Excuse me, they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And so he had some friends. God was using friends. God was using people that he was teaching in order to get him out of this situation. And so, though there were people that wanted to kill him, though there were very dangerous situations, God used friends to help Paul and to preserve Paul and to move him into a new situation and get him to what they were hoping to be a better situation. So, God uses these friends and, and moves Paul out of Damascus. And then he came to the city of Jerusalem. And in verse 26, we read this, And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, but they did not believe, and they, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus, 
So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenist, but they were seeking to kill him. <laughs> and when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, which was his hometown. So the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So you see Paul the Apostle where God was raising up this person that would be um, referred to as the Apostle to the Gentiles. You see it was, but in this situation, the, the Jewish people, both Christian and those that were not following Jesus, both of them had these questions and were very confused about Paul. And so what did they try to do? They tried to kill him. So God used friends to get him to Jerusalem. And then when trouble came there, and there was much doubt and question there, God took him and sent him to his hometown of Tarsus, where he can then begin to build up and his ministry would begin to flourish. And he, he would take off from there and become the man that we understand him to be in the Scriptures. And God preserved Paul through his friends and through men like Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. And so I know that some of us today, we, we need those kind of friends. <laughs> we need this Barnabas. We need people to come alongside and move in our life and encourage us because we're discouraged. We need people sometimes to get us to the next place in our life because we can't get there on our own. And we need their help. And God is using people. And that is one of the major, major, major aspects of church is that he is bringing people together to help preserve them and move them into secure locations, to move them out of fearful and dangerous situations and into new ones. But listen to this, though. They kept preaching the gospel. They didn't stop. It is so amazing to me, the people in the, in the New Testament and people throughout history, that no matter how confusing it, it became, no matter how painful it became, no matter how dangerous the situation became, no matter how confused they may have become, they kept preaching the gospel. They kept sharing the gospel. They kept talking about Jesus and his resurrected state and him being who he said he was. They kept preaching the gospel and about all the things that are going on in the church, whether you can't meet in the church or you can't meet um, outside. or you, it, We cannot stop preaching the gospel. If it's go online, if it's go in a building, if it's go outside, there's so much discussion over that. So many pastors saying we should do this, we shouldn't do that. So many churches shutting down until next year. So many just saying we're just going to open up and go for it. We don't have time for this argument. Whatever, whatever church you go to, whatever, however God is leading you to open up your building or to stay outside or to stay online, however you go about that, just the, the options are limitless when it comes to that, I think, but the option of stopping preaching the gospel is not to be considered. Never to be considered. I think that that's where the line was drawn. Where Jesus would say that if a Roman soldier came to you and asked you to carry his, his pack one mile, because that was the law, Jesus says, take it two. <laughs> just, just take it two miles. Be that kind of person. Go the extra mile. But when it came time in the Acts, book of Acts, and we see that the apostles were told to stop talking about Jesus, that's where they said, we've we got to draw the line right there. We have to draw the line right there. We, we, we can move and do these other things. And here at the retreat church, we've, we've decided that, okay, fine, we'll go outside. We'll go outside. 
First time we were shut down, it was fine, we'll go online. But we will not stop preaching the gospel. It's simply not an option. Simply can't do it. And then we have Peter. Peter got placed in these two situations. Look at verse 32. It says, Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Leda. There he found a man named, named Annas, bedridden. Sorry, I'm not reading well this morning. Bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Annas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately arose, and all the residents of Leda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. This is a little different than what Paul was dealing with, wasn't it? Paul was preaching the gospel, and people wanted to kill him. They could get him out of town. Here Peter comes in and saves the day, and people love him, and people believe in Jesus. And then goes on in verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Leda was near Joppa, the disciples hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter arose and went with them, and when they arrived, they took him to the upper room. All of the window, widows, excuse me, stood outside, or excuse me, I can't read again this morning, stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dor- Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and, gave, and he gave her his hand, and he raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord, and he stayed in Joppa for many days with Simon the Tanner. And so, what is God doing? And I'm sure with these people in this day, these two people that were healed, the miracle was the main point for them, wasn't it? If you're starving, the main point is food. <laughs> if you're sick, the main, main point is healing and restoration. If your marriage is a mess, a disaster, your marriage is the main issue. If your children have gone crazy in rebellion, then their children are the... And see right there, for these people, these that needed healing, that was the main focus. And God was ministering to them. But Jesus has this wonderful way of dealing with individual issues at the same time doing these global issues. (laughs) He does these global issues. He's a prue. What's he doing with these these miracles is he's saying this. He's saying what Jesus did, Peter's now doing. I'm proving that Peter is my disciple. I'm proving that I'm still alive in this group called the church. And so as he preserves Paul... And he proves Peter. He's proving all of his people and he's changing the world and he's bringing the gospel into the Gentile world. Now, in closing, there's an interesting idea that I haven't brought up with this at all and I'll be very quick. The placement of these people in these cities, Damascus, Jerusalem, Tarsus, Lydia, and Joppa. All of these cities were headed for disaster. 
what was soon to take place in this world, as Jesus was moving his church and bringing Jew and Gentile together, and Jesus was spreading the gospel throughout all of the world through his church, what was about to take place from the years 66 to 70 was these cities would be destroyed. These cities would be burned. Many would be killed. And you know what? They didn't ask for that. So here were Paul and Peter, the rest of the church. They were placed in these very, very difficult times where Paul was getting saved, but people were doubting who he was. And the more he preached, the more people tried to kill him. Peter was placed in situations where people were sick and dying and God was using him to raise the dead and bring health and healing. But God was doing all of this because he knew what would soon take place among these cities. And God knows what is going to soon take place in our country. He's got all of the info. There are no questions with God. There is no doubt with God. There is no wondering with God. God's not waiting to find out how it all turns out. God's not waiting to learn anything. God's not depending on any government. God's not depending on any way of voting. God's not depending and waiting on a vaccine. God's not waiting for anything. God is positioning and proving His people. And if you and I choose to shrink back from the gospel, we will be missing our opportunity to be who we were supposed to be all along. God's people in the middle of tragedy. God's people in the middle of confusion. God's people in the middle of chaos. That's you. That's me. Father, we thank you today that you position and you prove your people. And we're alive today in 2020 amongst all that we know is taking place and then so much more that we don't know is taking place. But there are no questions with you at all. Lord, you already know what people will do and as they exercise their own free will. You already know how you're going to move and react and respond to that. You, you already know. But God, I'm asking you to take your people and to place them in places of confusion and pain and heartache and help them to bring the gospel into those situations. We're not going to avoid it. The church never has. So Lord, position and prove your people today as you change the world with your gospel. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next time.